When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 270, and we are recording a little early on February 18th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from Book Riot, and today, for so many reasons, is <laughs> The Cozy Show. <laughs> the Cozy Show. She has to sing every episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's your idiom. It is. Yeah, we, for so many reasons, uh, like I said, like, I think we all, I mean, we're getting tons of questions for this. There are storms all over the country burying people in cold and ice and snow. And also our brains are all still nowhere to be found. So (laughs) we figured we would dedicate an entire show to our favorite cozy reads. Mm -hmm. From all kinds of genres, though I will say Jen did much better at the genre. The genre diversity than I did. (laughs) I'm such a like brown noser A plus student. I was like, let me make a list of all the genres, and now I will find a book from each of the genres to put to recommend. Well, let's just read her service, Jen. Well, it's true. I do love an assignment. Uh, it's it's just true. Uh, all right. Well, so if this is the first time you're tuning, oh, wait, no, I t- I take it back. Before we get started, Amanda, I need a dog and snow update from you. How is Petunia Aww. dealing with the snow? Tell me more about Petunia. So we don't have snow right now. We have ice. I'm looking at it happening right now. We are in the middle of an ice storm. And like everything is looks like it's made of glass. It's actually really pretty. He hates it. Hates it. Capital H cannot stand because he is very look, my dog is a reflection of me. He is very (laughs) invested in his dignity, right? Like very concerned about his dignity. And then he gets out on the deck and just slides like ice skates everywhere. And he looks mortified that anybody would witness him in this like state of weakness. So (laughs) he is just like a tiny fuzzy not tiny. He's like an enormous fuzzy version of you. I know. When it was snowing two weeks ago, he was trying to bite it out of the air. Like he was offended that it was falling on his face so he kept trying to attack it which like relatable yeah that's how my dog handles weather i know they make like doggy snow booties do they make Mm -hmm. ones that are good for ice traction i just this is the thing i don't know i don't know this like never happened this never happens here like this is the second ice storm this year right but also but so only like the third ice storm i remember ever having happened in virginia in my living memory so uh and the last one was like 20 years ago when i was 10 years old right Thanks, climate change. Uh, Right? Yeah. (laughs) So if they do make them, I'm unsure. Oh, well, that's a fun rabbit hole that I might fall down later. (laughs) If you get a package out of nowhere Mm. that has dog booties in it, it's me. (laughs) All right. So, yes. How does this show, how is this show supposed to work? Usually what happens is y'all send us questions about what uh, you would like to read next. Maybe you're looking for a recommendation for a friend or a family member or a book club or for travel or whatever. And we will do our best to find you your next great read. You can send those requests in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, 
Or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on uh, bookriot.com for every episode of this show. And if you have a time-sensitive question you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, please put time-sensitive all caps and then the date you're hoping to hear back by in either the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form on the site, and we will do our best. Uh, we might email you back if for some reason we're not going to get to it on air and we and we want to give you a response, so keep an eye out for those. Oh yeah, normally this is where we would read our first question, but we're not doing questions today. We're just talking about cozy books that we love. So instead, let us hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so I think I should start with like a kind of working definition of what cozy mm, is yes. for me because I'm realizing that like there's a lot of heavy stuff in some of these books that I've picked well, and like all of these books that I've picked. Like life is still happening to these characters, right? Mm. But they all end in a in a warm, fuzzy way or are funny or are like super hopeful or other or are like a celebration of human relationships and community and love or in some way going to give you bright, sunshiny hopefulness inside, even if really difficult things are happening to mm -hmm. the characters. I mean, like, you know, you consider cozy mysteries, which are the most cozy of genre. It's in the name. But, like, someone right. has been gruesomely murdered. So <laughs> it's not like cozies have to be a thing where nothing bad happens to anyone. So, yeah. Anyway. Okay, so my first pick, I wanted to get this one out of the way because it's the oldest 
on my list and also one that probably most of you have read. So I picked The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery by Gabriel Zevin as my first cozy pick because of those reasons, because everybody loves it and it's so warm and fuzzy and it's about a really grumpy bookseller. There's a lot of grumps in my picks here. (laughs) There's a lot of grumps and there's a lot of widows. I don't know. And widowers. So AJ is a uh, bookseller. He owns a bookstore on an island and he is Grumpy McGrumperson. His wife has died, I think, a year before the book opens, maybe two. And he is just getting increasingly more like irascible uh, and like everything is annoying to him. He has a rare collection of Poe poems that's recently been stolen. Sales are down. You know, all of this stuff is happening. And he's just trying to, like, isolate himself from his community. Like, he has friends in his community, including his sister-in-law and, like, the chief, the the, the police chief of the island. Like, everyone's trying. <laughs> like, like, this very grumpy dude who's trying to turn himself into a porcupine who's squishy inside but pokey on the outside so people will leave him alone. His friends are trying, including Amelia, who is a sales rep from a publisher who is, like, a customer of his, or vice versa, I guess, who comes to the store and tries to be friends with him and tries to, like, you know, bring him out of his shell a little bit. She's, like, she's legitimately interested in in her job and in his store and in his life. And then one day, a mysterious package arrives on his doorstep, and in it is a baby. What? Somebody left a baby on this grumpy old man. He's not old, but he acts like he's old. Grumpy old man (laughs) in his heart, you know, doorstep. And then it just... Everything unravels from there. Like, what do I do with this baby? Like, whose baby is this? What do I do with this baby? <laughs> you know? um, I am too cranky to have a baby, uh, except I'm sure that you, you know, can tell where this is going to go. The baby grows on him. It's like it's, in the book, the baby functions very much like a puppy. Like, <laughs> like the puppy starts to grow in him, except it's a person. And he starts to kind of come out of his shell. The relationships he's made on the island start to work on him. And now he has a person who is more helpless even than he is in his life who he has to um, advocate for and defend. There's a little bit of romance. Not a little bit. There's a good bit of romance tossed in for for our AJ. And it just warms the cockles, which we all need right now. So that's The Storied Life of AJ Fickery by Gabriel Zevin. Yeah, I remember when that book came out and we were all freaking out about it. And charming was the word that just kept getting tossed around. It's so charming. It's so charming. So charming. I will say that in my increasingly aged heart, I find grumpy dudes less charming than I used to. Yeah. yeah. But AJ is maintains. He maintains his charm level for me. Yeah. (laughs) What a great sentence. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So like Amanda, I it's true. I, I it was an interesting exercise in in defining because it turns out that I have multiple definitions of cozy. Mm. One of which is like you know I think Amanda touched on a lot of these things too. Like it's not that life stops or that no bad things are happening, but it you feel okay about it in whatever way. There's also like a vibe uh, for a <laughs> book too. It maybe isn't even necessarily in the prose but like it's something about the reading of the book that makes me want to like be in a blanket fort and so that might be high that's probably highly personal but here we are and so my first book is probably the most like record screech what uh because it's kind of about cancer but i i just it when i think back on it i feel like i've been hugged it's all the wild hungers by karen babine and it does come with content warnings for cancer treatment and uh, fertility and pregnancy issues. So the this is a memoir or essay collection, memoir essay, comma, slash, whatever. And it is about how her mother, when, like, her Karen is a grown-up, 
And her mother was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And her sister at the same time is pregnant. And their family is extremely close um, and extremely Midwestern and are all just trying to figure out, like, how do you... How do we navigate this really complicated time for our family? And, like, everything turns out okay, which is, you know, part of the comfort of this book. Um, Of course, you don't necessarily know that going in, but this is a cozy show. I'm not going to not tell you that everything turns out okay. And it's also a cooking memoir because Karen, bless her, has this collection of cast iron cookware that she has like found in vintage stores and like rehabbed and named. Like they all have names. They have a special shelf in her kitchen. And she's a vegetarian, but like she's trying to feed her mom who needs different kinds of nutritions and can only stomach certain kinds of things because of the cancer treatment. And so she's like, I will cook literally whatever I can get you to put in your face. And if that means like bone broth, like let's make some bone broth in this cast iron that I've named, you know, Mindy or whatever. That's not the (laughs) cast iron's name, but you get the idea. And so she's thinking about, you know, sustenance. She's thinking about care. She's thinking about family. She's thinking about the recipes that are part of their family and like her own choices about what to eat and what not to eat and what it means to like cook for other people. Like I said, I feel like I've been hugged when I think back on the experience of reading this book. She's a great writer and it's just so warm and like generous of her to invite us into this very like complicated and difficult time and to guide us through it in the way that she does. So I find I find this book extremely comforting in that like, yes, it is a reminder that really difficult things can happen. And you're gonna like, it's gonna be hard to get through them. But you know, even if the things you know, that you make don't end up being even if the choices you make don't end up being the perfect choices, even if sometimes like your mom can't eat the thing that you cooked for her like care is how we survive these moments and that's all that's what this book is about so again that's all the wild hungers by karen babine all right um so my next pick is a mystery it's ridiculous i love it so much (laughs) it's a bad day for sunshine which is the first book in the sunshine vikram series by jorinda jones it's the only one that's out now the second one comes out in july uh and this has a trigger warning for rape and sunshine (laughs) look this is like the most, if Douglas Adams wrote a ridiculous, or Jasper Ford mm. wrote a, a mystery, just a madcap nonsense, no supernatural stuff, but madcap nonsense with a with a small town sheriff in, in New Mexico. That's what this would be. Jasper Ford, small town New Mexico. So Sun, Sun, Sunshine Vikram has found herself being elected sheriff of Del Sol, New Mexico, which is the town she grew up in where her parents lived, where she does not live. She did not actually enter the race. <laughs> To be sheriff, her parents somehow entered her and engineered her. And she also somehow showed up at a debate that she did not attend because her parents made it happen somehow. Her father is an ex-military intelligence officer, so that probably has something to do with it. She is a police officer. Like, she is a detective in another, I think, in um, Santa Fe. Uh, But she finds out that she is one. Now, she has a 14-year-old daughter, or 16, whatever, a teenage daughter who she's very close to. It's very Gilmore Girls, you know, but, like, with boundaries, so healthy. And... (laughs) She And so she is like, you know what, maybe this is a good time. My kid's a teenager. If I move back home, I will have, you know, they're, they're moving into an apartment on their parents, on her parents' property. So like she'll have help with her kid because she's a single mom. 
And she gets to be a sheriff, which is like not terrible. You're in charge of your whole thing. You can do whatever you want. So she agrees to do it. So she moves back to Del Sol. And this is the kind of place where like the big crime that's in the middle of being investigated when she moves home is that two feuding neighbors have been fighting over a chicken named Puff Daddy that one of them (laughs) keeps stealing. So that's like the big thing. But her first day that she shows up, a teenage girl from the town is kidnapped. And you find out pretty quickly that Sunshine, when she lived in Del Sol and was 17, was herself abducted. And when she came out uh, and she woke up, so she was kidnapped. She woke up like a month later in a hospital with a traumatic brain injury and no memory of what happened to her and pregnant. So that's where her daughter came from. So this this girl gets kidnapped and she's like, oh, maybe it's connected. She has no reason to think this, but like maybe it's connected to my abduction. She's been secretly her whole adult life trying to solve her own abduction also. But also like, you know, she's going to she's the sheriff. She's going to solve this crime. And so that's what she does. And it it gets her involved with this uh, bootleg, no, bootleg, moonshine person. <laughs> Bootlegger? That's the word I was looking for. This uh, crime family that came from the South, they were bootleggers, moonshiners. I don't know why I keep seeing bootleggers. They were moonshiners and got run out of the South by the cops and ended up in New Mexico. And uh, the head of the family is is a guy who she went to school with, who she's had a crush on forever, who's trying to make the family legitimate. And so there's like this tension between her and him. She's investigating them for this girl's abduction. She's trying to solve this crime. And then the book goes back and forth between her perspective and her daughter's perspective. Her daughter is just starting in this public high school and is herself like a super genius, wants to help solve this crime because the girl who's gone missing is one of her only friends in school. Um, she gets, she develops like a crush on a boy that you are um, – following that's like just real cute and sweet it's just ridiculous like it's such heavy stuff like abductions and you know uh like moonshine prohibition like i mean it takes place present day but like this crime family you know and it's a really really diverse cast of characters it's just very very fun and i know that it sounds super weird considering the the um topics but like no one in this book is toxic do you know Mm. what i mean nobody's toxic nobody everybody like means really well except for there's like one high school bully who's uh, annoying but like gets what's coming you know (laughs) so that's pretty satisfying uh if that if you're the kind of person who finds that thing that kind of thing satisfying which i absolutely do um but nobody's toxic like everybody is despite the things that have happened to them all the characters are emotionally with it like they're healthy they're doing their best everyone has boundaries and at the same time they're chasing this chicken called puff daddy like it's just funny it's funny and great and fun so that's a bad day for sunshine by dorinda jones i do that's an interesting point i do like this idea that like cozies they have to like you have to be able to root for everybody yeah because uh, that's certainly not true of all the books some of the books that i love you don't want to root for the character no yeah yeah i mean you need to at least be able to root for all the main characters yeah. it can't be this like she's unlikable and it's a statement kind of right. thing like mm. right that's yeah. not cozy it's good no. but it's not cozy uh right. okay so my next pick is a fantasy it is The True Queen by Zen Cho which is the second book in the Sorcerer Royal series and listen y'all I don't, I really don't understand why I don't see as much love for this one. I mean, maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but I don't, I do not see as much love for this sequel to Sorcerer to the Crown as I would like to see. And I wonder, I have this like half-baked theory that maybe it's because it's not a romance. And the same, like, Mm. if that's the thing that you loved about Sorcerer to the Crown, like, that's not what this is. This is a sister story. But that's one of the reasons that I love it. I love, I mean, I don't have a sister, but I do have brothers. And I love a sibling story. And this one is about, oh, oh, wait, side note. If 
Uh, Mak Gang Gang is one of your favorite things about Sorcerer to the Crown. Mm-hmm. You love this one. <laughs> so it's about Muna and Sakti, who are like sort of shipwrecked with no memory of like where they came from. They wash up on a beach on the island of Janda Bike, um, and they have like no idea how they got there, where they came from. They know that they're like sisters. They recognize each other. They have this deep sense of familiarity. But otherwise, they, like, really don't know what's going on. And so, you know, they get sort of adopted into the local town and are, you know, have their lives. But it's clear that they've been cursed. And Sakti starts to fade away, like, literally, like, starts to, like, she's getting transparent and, like, what's going on. And Muna, like, has to go on this giant quest to try to figure out how to save her sister. And she ends up going to Britain, which is where we see some of the characters from the first book. Um, but she, the world is so much bigger in this one. There's so many different places that uh, Muna goes, including the realm of fairy. There's dragons. There's, you know, djinn. There's, like, all kinds of creatures and different kinds of magic in different geographic locations. And And it is 100% about, like, figuring out when you have that kind of really close-knit bond that has is sort of the central bond of your life, and it's threatened, not only do you want to save it, but then you start to, like, find out who you are outside of that bond, which is a really interesting character arc, I think. And I just loved, again, like, it's so endearing. You're absolutely rooting for the characters. And the world is so much fun to see, you know, get expanded and played around with. And all of the different supporting characters are a delight. Like, I just loved it. I loved it. Uh, And it is sort of standalone-y. Like, you could read it without having read Sorcerer to the Crown if you really wanted to. I think that would be fine. But it's just like, if you've read the first one, like, read this one too. It's so good. Zen Cho is just awesome. So again, that's The True Queen by Zen Cho. All right. Number three. Um, uh, What is it? Oh, number three <laughs> that I picked is Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. This came out in 2019, and I just I just love it. I don't know. It's just cozy. See, well, all of these books, I guess I could make these sounds about, but it's just so warm and fuzzy. So Evie is, lives in Maine. It's very Gilmore Girls meets Murder, She Wrote energy. Ooh. Not with the murders, but with the this small town Maine kind of feeling. Like, everyone is a lobster fisherman. Why? Doesn't matter. Are there that many lobsters? Not relevant. <laughs> Everyone's a lobster fisherman. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and like the town is very much a character in that Gilmore Girlsy kind of way. So Evie is a widow. And her big secret, which you discover on page one, literally, so like big secret to everyone except the reader, is that her husband was a jerk. Her husband was this tiny little village's beloved local doctor. And everybody knew... Uh, Evie and her husband and loved them so much, loved him so much. She, he, he is terrible to her and only her. And you get more and more details about it as, as time goes on, but definitely like emotionally abusive at le- at the bare minimum, bad guy. And she's decided she's going to leave him. Like page one, she's packing her car while he's at like some event to leave. She's told no one that she's leaving because she's afraid they're going to not believe her or talk her out of it or whatever. And as she's getting in the car to drive away, she gets a phone call that he has been in a car accident and has died. So her big secret is that he's dead, and now this whole town is treating her like this heartbroken widow, when in reality, she doesn't really care, because he was a jerk. And so she's having to like walk through life feeling like a monster, because she doesn't actually care that her husband is dead. So that's her setup. And her best friend is a guy named Andy, 
uh, who's been like there for her this whole time. And he has a friend named Dean, who is a major league baseball pitcher who has lost his arm, which is a thing that I didn't know happened. But it's, in, it's like a thing where inexplicably pitchers become unable to pitch. There's no physical explanation for it. There's no real mental exp- or emotional explanation for it. Like the talent just goes away. And this has happened to him. And he's been to see, you know, every doctor, every psychiatrist, every acupuncturist, hypnotherapist, whatever. It, nothing has worked. Nothing's worked. So he's retiring and wants to spend a year out of New York, because I think he played for the Yankees, um, spend a year out of New York trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. So he calls his friend Andy, and Andy suggests that he move into Evie's like garage, because there's an apartment back there. And so you can see where the setup is going. <laughs> like, very attractive Major League Baseball player who needs to start over moves into the house of a very attractive recent widow who needs to start over. <laughs> Gee, I wonder, you know... <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen. Um, and so, you know, it like unfolds to me. Of course, they both have like their own trauma. They've both got their own issues. But it's the same thing like I was saying about A Bad Day for Sunshine, where these are not like 100% healthy people, because who is 100% mm. healthy? Obviously, they've got their own issues and stuff, but they are aware. Like they are trying. They're Both of them are doing the work, which is actually very refreshing in the Dean character, because I think it's pretty hard to find a book with a, a hero who is a like alpha male who is willing to do emotional labor mm. in like in, in real ways but he absolutely is you know and and the closer that they start off they move their relationship moves very slowly i don't know that i would even call this a romance because you know a romance is defined as a book about a central relationship between two or however many people that has a happy ending and this does have a happy ending and their relationship is certainly important but i feel like the actual relationship that the book is focusing on is evie and her own self like she is got to figure out what to do with both the trauma of her terrible marriage, the shock of her husband's sudden death, and then, like, what is she going to do with her life? Because she has a job. I mean, she's a transcriptionist. She owns a business. She works with journalists. She's got this giant house that her husband had, and she has this huge secret. And, like, what is she going to do with it? So there's a lot going on here, but it is very just Gilmore girlsy, Like, coming in with the trauma, but everybody's funny and witty and self-aware and working on themselves. And there's like a real cute picture. So there you go. Yeah. So that's Evie Drake starts over by Linda Holmes. You know what other accidental theme you have, at least in your first three picks, Amanda? What? Small town. Small towns! So much coziness in small towns. Right? It's, it's true. It's like a gossipy blanket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a great. There's our show title. Uh, okay. So my next pick is my literary fiction pick. It is a short story collection called Safe as Houses by Marie-Hélène Bertano, who you know because we have recommended 3 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas like a bajillion times. And I think I might have talked about this collection on the show before, but it's definitely been a while if I have. And I love this short story <laughs> collection so much because they are these like tiny, sort of weird, funny, bizarre gems of stories where like some of them like almost nothing happens. Like one of my favorites is about a young like dropout. Uh, she like gets you know you know when you go to the grocery store and they're like doing especially around the holidays they're doing like if you spend this much money you could win this thing well she gets this call that like she's won a free ham and she has to go down and she doesn't want it and so she's at the grocery store like arguing with this extremely disinterested employee who's like just take it and she's like I don't want it like do something else with it and they're like just take the ham like that's the whole story (laughs) she's arguing about a free ham 
And <laughs> but it like goes in this like sort of fabulous direction. Like they're all a little bit surreal. Like there's another one where like, again, no explanation for how this happens. But there's a girl who like a college student, I think she's bringing home Bob Dylan for Thanksgiving. Like that's just a thing that's happening. And it's hysterical. It's so funny. It's almost like an improv sketch. But it's it's like better because I don't like improv sketches. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, I think you get the idea. And some of them are like, you know, a little sad. Some of them, all of them are very strange, but they all just feel so sort of low key, hilarious and insightful. Like they really dig into feelings in this sort of sideways, like almost sneaky way where you're like, I thought I was reading about a free ham, but like, actually, I'm reading about like loss and abandonment. Like, how did that happen to me? And it's just so well done. And yeah, this is the kind of cozy that like is validating and that like you feel the surrealism of the stories allows you to like move through some feelings if you so desire. But you're also like laughing while you're doing it um, and enjoying the just absurdity of some of the premises of these stories. So it's extremely good for like if you want to like laugh and then like cry a little bit, maybe um, not a lot, just a little bit. So again, that's Safest Houses by Marie Helen Bertino. And it is now time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> 
All right, Amanda, what you got next? Woohoo! All right, um, I have Serena Singh flips the script by Sonia Lali, which comes with a trigger warning for domestic violence. I am obsessed with this. Bu- obsessed, <laughs> I'm saying, with this book. Obsessed with it. It does not take place in a small town. It takes place in Washington D.C. and Alexandria, which is the suburban hellscape that surrounds Washington D.C. Okay, so Serena is. I look. The more I talk about her, the more you're going to be like, I understand why you love this one. She's 36. (laughs) Um, She has recently been promoted into a very, like, powerful position at a marketing agency where she's, like, dreamed of working because it's run by one of the only high-powered women of color in the D.C. marketing area. Um, And so she's, like, real thrilled with this. But she is single and has no children because she does not want to get married or have children. So, like, live in it right, you know, in her brain. But her her mother specifically does not understand does not understand why she won't get married um, and doesn't want to have kids. So when the book opens, she she is at her sister's wedding. She has a younger sister. Her younger sister is her best friend, and she is trying to like be happy for her as she should. Right, her sister's getting married. This is what she wants. She doesn't understand this choice, but she's here for it. And then her sister tells her that she is pregnant. And then it's like. Okay, because Serena feels like she's going to lose her friend now because this has been her lived experience so far mm. is that her friends from college and then her co-workers um, as she as her career has gone on, everyone has gotten married and had kids except for her. And as their lives have gotten more nuclear family oriented, it, it seems like her friends have less and less time for her or are not willing to make time for her, for Serena. And so now she's afraid this is what's happening to my sister. And I don't know what to do with it. Um, so she goes on this kind of quest to like make friends as an adult. And this is what the book is about. And this is why I love it so much. Because this is not, you know, this is contemporary. I get you. It would be shelved as like women's fiction, which whatever. That's a whole other rant. It's not about romance. It's about finding friends as a, as an adult person with like an established career. And that's really hard mm-hmm. for people. And I think especially now, you know, like we're all, I'm sure, or most of us anyway, are feeling some variation of loneliness or isolation because of quarantine and all of that. And so like the idea of having to go out and make new friends seems even more daunting because of what we're all dealing with um, right now. But it's so fun to watch her try. (laughs) Like she joins, she goes to all these meetups. She joins like book clubs that she finds online. Like she's doing the thing, right? And then she befriends a woman at her job named Ainsley who has a child and is married. And so Serena's like immediately suspicious of her. Like, She's nice and she seems interesting and fun and maybe we can go get coffee once or twice, but, you know, eventually she's going to ditch me for her kid or something like that. And I will say that Serena can be very judgmental Mm. of people with children and people who choose to get married. Like, she's real snooty about it, but it's all coming from a, like, a trauma place, like a heartbreak place. And and she does get – this is her journey, right? The journey is her – being able to accept that people make choices that don't make sense for her personally, but that makes sense for them, and that everyone has to work to maintain friendships. Like, just because this person has a child doesn't mean they have less time mm. than you. You, you know, you, if you work 70 hours a week, do you really have more time than someone who stays home with a child? No, I mean, like, everybody's busy, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's busy. Everybody has to make sacrifices to maintain friendships. And she just has to find the friend who is willing to do that, who, like, is willing to have interests outside of their nuclear family. So that's the journey of this book. And it's just lovely. Like, it's just, why don't we have more books that are just about ladies being friends? <laughs> or dudes being friends. Anybody being friends. <laughs> it's, it's such an important relationship. You know, there's so, ma- I've, there's so many studies that I've been, that like, uh, have come out recently. I think I've, I've read, just read one in The Atlantic about 
how platonic friendships extend your life way more than romantic Mm. friendships will, Um, especially for women, because we tend to live longer than men. And if we don't have a community after like if you're straight and your husband dies and you don't have a friend community to maintain to help maintain you after that, it can be really bad for your health. Anyway, there needs to be more books about this. It's great. Serena Singh flips the script by Sonia Lali. Yeah, I'm here for all of the friendship books. All right, let's see. My next pick is sort of sci-fi, sort of fantasy, definitely a book that longtime listeners will be familiar with, but we haven't talked about it in a minute, and it is my, like, banana pants fun wild ride cozy pick. It is Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. (laughs) Remember Mm -hmm. this book! Uh, And it comes with content warnings for a reference to sexual assault and for harm to children. And this is such a ride, y'all. Like... Oh, I just remember when it was first coming out, like struggling to de- like to wrap it up in like three sentences. Like, how do you explain this book? But I feel like, you know, I've been talking about this book now for, oh, is it four years? Holy crap. That's a long time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I think I'm gotten close to it. So, Pray of Gods takes place in a near future South Africa. In which, like, robots are super normal. Everybody has, like, their own personal robot that's, like, a Zumba that also does other things. Zumba? Roomba. Roomba is the word I'm wanting. And Zumba is something completely different. And, like, there's renewable energy projects going on. And, you know, the economy is good. Like, this is not a dystopian. Like, things, good things are happening. However, there are some complicating things. There is a new drug making the rounds that is extremely hallucinogenic and, like, extremely weird. Like, very strange things happen when you're on this drug. You think you turn into, like... A dolphin or a crab or something. And like, you know, other people seem to you to be animals or sea creatures or whatever as well. And there's all kinds of weird reasons for it. And then maybe the robots are starting to become sentient. And also an ancient demigoddess who is like the, you know, demigoddess of revenge and violence and blood is like, I think now is a great time for me to plot my rise to power. (laughs) So there's a lot going on. And at the center of all of these different things, there's a lot of different POVs, all of which are fantastic. But one of them is a young girl who turns out to have her own special powers that come out in, like, a very traumatic way. And her choice to, like, who's she going to align with, who's going to become her mentor is very pivotal to the arc of this book. There's also, like, a pop diva and, like, a drag queen who's in politics and just so many amazing, fantastic characters. And the the story just, like, sweeps you away. Like, if part of Cozy is escapism, this is absolutely going to take you so far away from any of your present life moments mm-hmm. and just, like, whirl you into its, you know, madcap hijinks and you will put it down and be like, what even was that? I loved it. So again, that's The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. Such a weird, so weird, <laughs> Such a weird book. I love it so much. Okay, I have a uh, sci-fi space opera Becky Chambers-ish mm. situation for you now, and that is Persephone Station by Stina Licht, which is so weird and super gay. I love it so much. And it's, look, violent, okay? I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm saying it's Becky Chambers-ish because it has found a like the book is about a found family and about people in this found family on a spaceship facing obstacles together out of like deep abiding love for each other all kinds of love and that is wonderful and lovely and cozy they also kill a lot of people (laughs) in the process so you know it's pretty violent 
I don't think that detracts from the coziness, though, because what we're, I'm after in a cozy is like the relationships. Right? Mm. Anyway, so the main character is Ms. Angel. She is an ex-Marine. And as is often the case in like a cozy-ish kind of sci-fi, she has a ragtag band <laughs> of like semi-organized criminals who are also her like best friends in life. And they're like, some of them are assassins, some of them are mercenaries, and they all work for um, a person named Rosie, who is sending them out into uh, the, the planet on which they live called Persephone Station. They all live in a city, West Baron, I think it's called, that is enclosed, because if you leave the city's confinements, the planet will kill you. Like, the planet is full of inhospitable plants and bugs, bugs meaning both insects and germs, um, giant wildlife that's like just here to rip you to shreds. The planet does not like you or want you here. But Rosie is sending Angel and her um, ragtag band out into the planet on a secret mission that's saving humanity functionally. And of course, as often is the case here, they get, they kind of stumble into this secret mission to save humanity. They like don't volunteer for it, certainly. What they would like to volunteer for is to get paid, but they all have little squishy hearts of gold (laughs) because of course they do. So when they find out that, you know, they're going to be heroes, that's the thing that they're interested in. I just love this trope so much. I love it. Um, So like off they go out into this dangerous wild in order to save uh, humanity from itself. And it's just lovely. There's also a really great character named Kennedy who is an illegal artificial intelligence who is was invented uh, by a scientist who has since passed away who has gained empathy um, and so can kind of function like a person when she inhabits a human body. And so like she is out there being really awkward and strange and trying to like understand people and do the right thing to help humanity survive, but also to help other AI who she is aware of who have gained sentience, like have some autonomy and agency in their lives. So like that's a really interesting storyline. It's just it's thought provoking and fun, very rompy pretty violent it's got that like wild west thing that a lot of space operas tend to have but everybody in it is just a little cinnamon roll wrapped in really really hard candy (laughs) they don't they don't want you to get at their squishy inner bits but their squishy inner bits are so lovely anyway that's it it's persephone station by steina liked i love it sorry you're welcome (laughs) i love it so my next pick is a romantic suspense novel. And I don't, it's so funny, you know, I read a lot of different kinds of romance. And I think you could argue that all romance is inherently cozy because it all, you know, you're going to get a happy ending, like by definition. But I, I don't tend to read a lot of romantic suspense. This is maybe the only romantic suspense series I read. And this book in particular is my favorite for reasons that I will now explain to you. It's Ocean Light by Nalini Singh, which is part of the Psy Changeling series. And, uh, oh, right, content warnings. Description of panic attacks, uh, reference to child abuse, and there are abductions. Um, And it's, okay, so romantic suspense, right, is like, it's inherently like, it's suspense. So there's, you know, usually a killer, like, terrible things are happening, they have to solve the case, but also they're going to fall in love while they're doing it. And this is paranormal. So there's shapeshifters and there's, you know, telepathic people and then like vanilla humans who don't really have any powers except for that, like inherently sometimes people are awesome. Uh, And this one I love because it mostly takes place on a like ocean, a deep sea ocean outpost of like sea shifters. Like they're all different marine creatures, which is just the best. 
finished. I mean, I was so ready for this book to come out because most of the other books are about like, you know, werewolves and werebears and, you know, whatever, like land creatures, mammals. And that's all fine and good. But like, give me a were-dolphin and I am so delighted and happy. Give me a were-turtle. Like there's a were-tortoise in here. That is just the best. I have a lot of feelings about it. And I realized that, like, I reach for this book because in times of there are very, like, hard things that I'm dealing with. And I just want to feel like hard things are able to be triumphed over. And, like, also other people have to deal with, like, way harder things. And, like, these characters are dealing with uh, the disappearance of some of these sea shifters. Um, There's some weird conspiracy plot where they keep losing members of their, you know, tribe, as it were, and they don't understand what's happening to them. All they know is it's like they are probably dead and it's very bad. And so the main uh, shapeshifter character, Kaya, is a, you know, chef. Of course, I love a chef in a romance novel. Mm. She also helps out in, like, the medical wing. And she is, she just, like, wants to take care of people, as chefs generally tend to do. And then the hero dude, Bowen, is a human who is there because he has this, like, special chip in his head that's supposed to help protect humans from psychic attacks, but something has gone horribly wrong. And, like, the only scientists who are probably advanced enough to deal with this also happen to be on this deep-sea station. So he, like, isn't delighted about being there. He's kind of closed off. He's also the head of this, like, human spy network and so they don't really trust him either but they're trying to work together for common cause and everything gets like very intense Mm. and it's just so hopeful in like look here are two people who don't trust each other who have lots of reasons not to trust each other both have like very intense goals for themselves how will they learn to work together how will they defeat the bad guys and then they do and they end up together and everything is great even though things are still hard like not all of the problems of the world are solved at the end of this book but like they have figured out how to heal their part of it both inwardly and outwardly a little bit and like Like, that is enough. And so that's, you know, for me, where the cozy comes into it is, like, that reminder that, like, triumph is possible, even over very intense, like, worldwide plots or whatever. Um, There, you know, good things can still happen. And so, again, that's Ocean Light by Nalini Singh. It is number two in the Psy Changeling Trinity offshoot of the Psy Changeling series. Okay. Um, my last pick is a Frederick Bachman read-alike, because we've been getting a lot of uh, requests for mm. that recently. And it is The Brilliant Life of Eudora Honeyset by Annie Lyons. And this is a trigger warning for suicide. So Eudora is 85 and ready to go. <laughs> she is done with the world. She's reached the point where, like, there's nothing new to experience. Everyone is annoying. My knees hurt all the time. Like, uh, this is over. I This is over. She doesn't have any friends or family, so she started to get really concerned about what's going to happen. Like, if she falls or if she gets sick, like, who is going to make the decisions about her end-of-life care is going to be, like, strangers because she doesn't have anybody close in her life who can do it. So she makes an appointment with a clinic in Switzerland to do the assisted suicide because she, like, is just done like she's done there's nothing else left for her to do and she's bored and annoyed basically most of the time but then (laughs) a 10 year old girl moves in next door named rose um and rose is precocious and bright and shiny and very loud and annoying is how eudora feels about it at first and 
somehow this little girl ropes Eudora into all of these adventures around the neighborhood. She, you know, functionally charms her into like afternoon tea and going shopping and let's go to the beach and will you come to my pizza party? <sighs> and then Eudora also befriends a neighbor who is a, uh, I think he's a widower, Stanley. And Rose and Stanley and Eudora form this like unlikely trio of weird friendship <laughs> uh, that brings a lot of like color and light and new experiences to Eudora's life. She doesn't have any children of her own or grandchildren. And at the end of each chapter, you get a flashback through Eudora's life. And it starts kind of around World War II when her father died and the impact that that had on her life. And then you see the choices that she makes over time that got her to the place where she doesn't have any friends or family of her own. Her whole life has been about putting other people's needs before herself and like serving her family and serving other people. And then that has got her to this kind of lonely, like just done place. To where she's ready to die on her own terms. But then, you know, she makes these two new friends. And the little girl, in that way that kids tend to do, says things that are very uh, insightful on accident. Like, she'll say, you know, Eudora's elderly. She's 85. And so Rose will be like, um, I want to go shopping tomorrow. Could you, like, not die till that till we do that? Because, like, you're old, you know? <laughs> and, you like, the question gets Eudora's mind thinking of, like, do I actually want to do this? So then she's got to consider it. She gets annoyed about it, understandably. Like, I was so ready. Like, I had plans. I was ready to shuffle off the mortal coil. And then these two numbskulls come into my life and are, like, pretty cool. And now I have to rethink this whole thing. You know, she's very crotchety. Um, and I love a crotchety character, as I said before. And so, yeah, it's got it's just real... It's real sweet. And it's cheesy, but in a in a way that, you know, in February of 2021, <laughs> I am here. <laughs> I am much more receptive to corny than I was a year ago, <laughs> as I'm sure many of us are. Like, I just want to watch a character have an emotional arc that ends in joy <laughs> or even comfort or something positive, even if the journey that gets them there is kind of corny. I'm here for corny right now. I just am. Give me a Hallmark movie in a book. Like yeah. So that is The Brilliant Life of Eudora Honeyset by Annie Lyons. All right. My last pick is a YA that I just read. And I, it was, I, I'm really struggling to read a lot of different kinds of things right now. Like if the tone mm. of a book just isn't what I need right now, I just can't, even if other things about it are great, I can't keep going. And this book was like, Oh, this is exactly what I needed. <laughs> it's Two Dark Moons by Avi Silver. It is the first in a series. It does end on kind of like a big moment. Um, the sequel I have just discovered, thanks to the author, is coming in July. So that's very exciting to me, something to look forward to. And so Amanda was talking about like cinnamon roll characters covered in hard candy. The, one of the main characters of this book, Somang Par, I think she's like the teen version of uh, like Pop Rocks. Like she is very like direct and intense and like <laughs> zesty and like full of life uh, in a way that like not everybody is here for. She lives in it's a, this is like a second fantasy world, not our world, but she lives in this world where the human population that she is familiar with uh, are like two, you know, it's very small, sort of separated, uh, far flung network. And they live on top of these mountains. And normally what they do is migrate from one mountain to the next. But 
There are also, like, sort of dinosaur lizards in this world, and the dinosaur lizards have made it impossible for them to do their normal migration, which also means that her coming-of-age ceremony has now been delayed by, like, years. So she's still being treated as a child, even though technically she should not be—she should have, like, done her coming-of-age ceremony and, like, become an adult. But, like, she can't because it's—their their customs have been completely disrupted, and uh, she's very frustrated about it. She's bored. She's annoyed. She's like, I need to be treated like a grown up. I can't. This is killing me. So she she like goes to the elders after having like messed up on her child care duties. She terrified some littles with, you know, stories about the dinosaur lizards. Um, and they're like, all right, all right. Like, we'll find, I know it's great. We'll find something else for you to do. And of course, she is like very impulsive. And so the next job they give her ends in her being completely separated from her tribe. She's like down amongst the dinosaur lizards. She's pretty sure she's going to die. But then she gets rescued by a human who has like been adopted by this dinosaur lizard tribe. And she's like, what is going on? (laughs) What is happening? How am I going to get back to everybody? How am I going to survive if I leave this, like, tribe of lizards who don't want to go where I want to go? And, like, who is this person who has saved me? And, like, wow, they're weird. They're, like, dressed up as a dinosaur all the time. They kind of are like a dinosaur, but they're also a person. Like, how do I relate to them? And it's adorable and so sweet and so lovely and I just love that the questions that the oh this there's this whole other world building aspect that I was really into where the sort of how gender works in this is determined by astrology which is super interesting thought Hmm. right like what if your sign also determined your gender as opposed and in addition to like your other you know personality traits there and, and then there are dinosaurs And, you know, you just have this teenager who's like, how do I be a person Mm. in the midst of all of this? And it is extremely sweet and hopeful. Humans also, there's like a discussion, like a real thoughtful and like totally makes sense in the context of the book discussion about resources and like how humans use them and, you know, what like the dinosaur lizards need to survive and how those things interact and sometimes compete. And like, it's just a really fascinating, interesting premise for a book. And I really loved it. I'm really excited for the next book to come out. So again, that is Two Dark Moons by Avi Silver. Is that our show? Do we do it? That's our show. That's our show. We did it. We talked about cozy stuff. We hope you all feel more cozy and or have good Mm -hmm. cozy reads uh, because we all need them right now. Thanks to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for cleaning up all of our flubs. Thank you all for listening. We super appreciate that. For more recommendations, including cozy books, check out bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. If you are so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help other folks to find the show, and we love to see that feedback come in. Thanks also to our sponsors for making the show possible. In between episodes, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am also mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. 